We're in part 12 of our series in Joshua, and I entitled today's message, Resisting Victory. And so let me give you a heads up on what everything's going to be about today. Uh, this is a passage in Scripture, again, that in your own private reading time, you would completely skip. It is the land allotment, what territories of land each tribe got. So you would, uh, or I should say received, would be more appropriate grammar. Now, as you're reading through this, you would just kind of go, oh man, a bunch of names, boring, moving on, there's nothing for me. All right, we're going to scan through and grab a couple pieces that I think are incredibly valuable. I'm going to be throwing a map up today, and I'll be showing you a little bit of what it looks like. So for all of us reading it, we'd go, I don't get it. Well, when you see the picture, then you go, oh, well, that's easy. It's just simply a map with a bunch of different territories. But I want this to be very, very personal to you. So, I have a couple questions to begin with. We're going to be talking a lot about land that was still yet to be taken by the Israelites. So let's make it personal. What land still needs to be taken in your personal life? Your own spiritual life, what land still needs to be taken? Meaning the pockets and areas that are not submitted to God. Whether it is something of addiction on this side or whether or not it's an anger issue on this side. Whether it's not pockets of racism or it's pockets of sexism. Uh, whether or not it's pockets of body image issues. Whether it's uh, things about self-esteem. Whether it's areas of your life that you know that you're harming other people in out of your own selfishness. Maybe it's an issue of money. Maybe it's an issue of whatever. What land is still existing in here that the enemy is free to move around in? You know that you've just handed it over or you're too scared to try to root it out or you don't believe you could ever get it out. What land is still to be taken in our lives? Have that spinning around through your head that as you see Israel run into difficulty... And capturing the land that God gave them. It's called the promised land. God promised to them that he would give them the ability to do it. And they didn't. Why? First question, what land is still to be taken? Question number two. Why are we so content with leaving it the way we are? Why are we so content to settle for less? The fill in the blank in front of you is this. Compromised lives, of which we are all living, compromised lives are only partially equipped, not even totally equipped, partially equipped for man's plans. Compromised lives are only partially equipped for man's plans. That is a whole statement of failure. Here's why. What if God wanted more for you? What if God planned and dreamed bigger than you dream? Now let's take your plans. Let's say that in your life you look out and you go, Oh, I could be doing this. If it wasn't for this particular sin in my life, I could be doing this for God. If it wasn't for this particular struggle, I could be salt and light. If it wasn't for this particular uh, hiccup in my spiritual development, I would be at this place. What if God dreamed even bigger than that? What if he actually knew what you were capable of better than you did? 
if it's already hindering what you can dream, how much more is it hindering what God can dream? See, all through this message today, keep sorting through and saying, God, what do you desire for me? There, there's something more. There's something that God wants total victory and we're just resisting it. But praise the Lord that from his vantage point, he sees and dreams of so much more. He knows you can do a lot more than what you're doing right now. And I don't mean doing in terms of more effort, being more exhausted. That's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about more freedom. I'm talking about sleeping more peacefully. I'm talking about feeling like God is pleased with where you're at. I'm talking about all the things the Son set you free for. What about that? What if there was a desire that God wanted to utilize you in your neighborhood, but there's just so many obstacles that we've just allowed to be in our lives? That there's no way he can use us there right now. I want you to tell, I want to tell you that God knows how to get there. And he's trying to get us there. We just have to get out of the way. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 13? It's page 160, I believe. I have to look at my note here. Yeah, 160 in the Bibles that were handed to you. Uh, page 160. Let me give you a little bit of a recap. Israel has come in and taken over the promised land, and now they're going to talk a lot about where they were going to settle down. Now, to us, we don't care. We already kind of go, all right, I get it. Israel's kind of in this area of the world, whatever. For the majority of history in Israel or the Middle East, land is a massive deal. People die over it. For them to write it down is of absolute importance. We only think of the Bible as ministering to us in this day and age right here in modern day America. That is not true. For thousands of years, these historical records have helped people from dying. Because they needed to know exactly where the delineation line was. What is our land? What is our territory? It would stop infighting. Can you imagine... In your family, let's say you have multiple kids, and there was all these possessions the kids had, and the kids go, hey, is this my toy? And you're like, I don't know, maybe. Look, why don't we just go ahead and share everything? How's that going to work with your kids? That wasn't going to fly, all right? There's sibling rivalry. The whole idea is that's my toy. And if it's clearly delineated and you go, hon, you're right, you know what, your sister's right, that is her toy. No, you can't have that right now. That's what God's doing with his kids. He's delineating very specifically, this is your territory, this is your territory, so that there might be more peace amongst his family. Now, of course, there's always going to be tensions that exist, but you have to remember, this is also in a society where you didn't have maps. You didn't have the ability to just go, hey, this is my territory, let's go look at the blueprints. No. Everything had to be chronicled and kept somewhere else. People didn't have them in their house. So when we look at a map, it seems so simple. They had to do it by memory. They had to do it by recording in their minds, oral tradition. What do we own? Why do we own it? Who's our lineage? Lineage is everything. Land is everything. So we look at it and we kind of blow past it and think it's unimportant. To a Jew, it's everything. 
So I would just hope that today, as we go through, we can at least appreciate what's going on and then apply it to our lives. If we could just throw up that slide, I'm going to leave it up the whole time. I want to show you something very quickly. Now, this is a very tough slide to read. Okay, Uh, we've done as much enhancement as we can. But here's all I want to say at the beginning. Now, right here is the Sea of Galilee, this little tiny piece up there at the top. Right. There's a little tiny dot up there. That region up here. Whoa, let me get over there. Right there. Apparently, I have some serious caffeine issues. I can't I can't even hold the stupid little dot straight. All right. That is the Sea of Galilee. All right. Um, now in this region right here, this is all of where Jesus did all of his ministry. He only went down here a little bit. This is what the dead sea. So in between these two is the Jordan river. This is the line that I've been talking about every time we come in here. So Israel came through and they settled this side first river right here, this side, all the dangerous peoples were over here. They could attack them. Two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh settled on the eastern side. Now, that left nine and a half tribes to be settled on the other side. What's wrong with my little pointer? Oh, come on. There we go. Right here. All right. Now, this delineation line is a big deal. They're going to talk about the east side of the Jordan, the west side of the Jordan. I just want you to think about it, the right side and the left side. All right? So we're going to kind of go through this together. Here we go. Joshua 13, verses 1. I'm just going to read a little bit. We'll pray for the word and dive into this, see what God has for us. When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, you're very old. That's awesome. Right? As we all chanted last night, when God says you're old, you're old. Okay, fantastic. Let's move on. God said you're very old and there are still very large territories of land to be taken over. This is the land that remains all the regions of the Philistines and the Geshurites. And then he mentions the territory of the five Philistine rulers in Gaza, Ashdod, Ascalon, Gath, and Ekron. These are tough guys. And here God says to Joshua, you're old and you've got a lot of stuff to do yet. There's an awful lot of land still to be taken. In other words, I've dreamed bigger for you, Joshua. I've dreamed bigger for you, Israel. And we're not done. I understand you're content. I'm not content. We have a lot more to do. Let's get busy. Let's pray about this. Heavenly Father... As you dream into our lives and reveal to us and shine a light on what we don't even see. May you give us the hope and the drive and the excitement to know that, Lord, if you call us to do something, you'll empower us to do it. Lord, you knew what Israel could do. They did not believe in what they could accomplish with you. But you didn't give up on them. Nor will you give up on us. In Jesus' name. Amen. When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, so how old do you have to be for God to call you old? Pretty much you have to be around nearing death. Then God will call you old. So if I'm going to die within the next, 
I don't know, two to five years, God would call me old. Because really, it has nothing to do with chronological age. It has to do with time here. In other words, all right, so we have a little bit more time here. We still have a lot of stuff to do. Uh, Joshua, we're on a time schedule. You're running out. We got to get this stuff down. Now, if we chronicle it well, Joshua is between 95 and 100 years old. That's decently old. Now, I don't know what you're interested in doing when you are 100, but I don't think that warfare is on your list, nor do I think is taking over new territory. However, in Joshua's life, he still had a whole bunch of stuff on his agenda that didn't include retirement. All right. So it says that you are very old and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. And then he mentions the Philistines. What's interesting is when he mentions the rulers of the Philistines, that word is tyrants. They were not kings. They were just big bad guys that made other bad guys bow down. These guys did not want to move. The Philistines were a pretty hardcore bunch. As a matter of fact, those people groups are going to be a primary discussion through the book of Judges, through 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. It's actually through the whole King Saul, King David, King Absalom era. They're messing with these guys. It took so long to try to root these out because they weren't taken care of initially. Tough little ones. Pick it up in verse 6. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions, that is, all the Sidonians... Now, that was still a people group that was larger than just around the city of Sidon. They were another tough people group. God said, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance as I have instructed to you. See that phrase inheritance? In nine chapters, you're going to hear the phrase 50 times. The Bible repeats things for a reason. You will keep hearing about certain victories, certain uh, defeats, certain people, certain tribes over and over and over. And you go, I get it. You already said that. Why is he highlighting it again? It's an important phrase. When I told you last time that this war, this campaign was not about Israel, one of the reasons I told you was because this promised land is not really Israel's at all. It's whose? It's God's. Their dad is giving it to them as an inheritance, but the land is still God's. If it's God's land, he put exacting rules on them. He said, don't you ever permanently sell my land. That's my land. You get it because you're my kids. And I'll let you live there and hang out on my land. But it's my land. You didn't buy it. You didn't own it. You didn't earn it. I gave it to you. This is my land. And he says inheritance 50 times to make that point. He said, divided as an inheritance among the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. The other half of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites. Those are all the guys on the right side of this map right here. Can everybody see the delineation lines in the back? This has got to be brutal. Okay, so Manasseh is this territory right here, right? That's Manasseh, Gad. Reuben, where are we getting all these names from? Let's go back a little bit. Abraham, I, Abraham's the father of the Jews, had a son named Isaac. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That's where we get the name. And he had how many kids? How many sons? Twelve. That's these guys. Every one of the sons had families. So one son's name is Manasseh. One son's name is Gad. One son's name is Reuben. And it goes on and on like that. Well, eventually they became rather numerous and they had to have little areas to settle in. We got two and a half on one side, nine and a half on the other. Manasseh apparently has a billion kids. So they get two pieces. They get this piece right here and they get this piece right here. All right, now let's keep moving forward. He said the other half of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites had received their inheritance that Moses had given them on the east side of the Jordan as he, the servant of the Lord, had assigned to them. Go to verse 10. Meaning all the towns of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and verse 12, the whole kingdom of Og in Bashan. Those are the two big dogs of the Amorite nations on the right side of our map. Verse 13. But the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur and Makkah, so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. We don't know why they failed, but we know they didn't root them out. And they're still living among the Israelites when this book was written many, many years later. What you leave initially kind of sticks around, right? We all know what we're talking about. Anybody have anything, and I don't need you to raise your hand because then your wife will ask, does anybody have anything from your childhood you're still wrestling with? And you realize it was rooted back then, and you're still dealing with it now as an adult. And you're thinking, really? I thought I would have outgrown that. No, it just grew with you. Big difference. Go to verse 14. But to the tribe of Levi. Now, you'll notice on this map, even though he had 12 kids, there's no Levi. He's not on there. But to the tribe of Levi, he gave no inheritance since the offerings made by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance as he promised them. He's going to say this three times in this chapter and the next. Why? Because it's a big deal. The Levites didn't get a section of territory. Why? Because they were the ones in charge of the local church. They were the ones that were in charge of the tabernacle. Back then, they didn't have a church building. They had a tabernacle called the Tent of Meeting. This is the same thing that God instructed Moses to put up a bunch of tents that had sections in them. The tiny little section in the, in the uh, center of it was called the Holy of Holies, and it contained the Ark of the Covenant, the gold box. God's presence would dwell above that box and he would speak to the high priest or to Moses or to Joshua personally. Whoever took care of that tabernacle, set it up, tore it down, cleaned the stuff, did the sacrifices, that was the priests and the Levites. The Levites then were sprinkled throughout this whole area to be the local priests for the people they would do all the kind of religious stuff and talk about god and who god was and distribute uh, god's word things like that they would be sprinkled out as a matter of fact they're going to get 48 towns sprinkled throughout this whole territory but they do not get any one section of land do you think they were okay with that i think some of them were and some of them weren't just like heaven 
and this group. Some of us like heaven, some of us not so much. What if I told you that when you get up to heaven, you're not going to get any stuff? There's no stuff for you. This whole business about uh, mansions and uh, rewards, it's all metaphorical, let's say. And there's nothing there but the presence of God. Do you still want to go? See, some of us, yes. Others of us, no. Because some of us are still interested more in the stuff than in God. God said, I'm your inheritance. You get to be with me. You get to do special stuff with me. You get to be my representatives. But I'm not giving you tangible things. You don't get a special land. That may have been very difficult for a lot of them. But little by little, some of them understood. Let's keep moving. This, verse 15, is what Moses had given to the tribe of Reuben. Now notice those guys are at the bottom here. In addition to those slain in battle, the Israelites had put to the sword Balaam, verse 22, son of Beor, who practiced divination. Uh, that is a close of another story that we talked about before. Everybody remember the talking donkey story? That was Balaam. Whatever happened to that guy? Oh, he got killed right here. Fantastic. Just put that note away in your mind. Now, let's go back to Reuben. Reuben was born when out of all the boys. Anybody know? First, the firstborn son in a Jewish household is special. Why? He is to receive a double portion of inheritance. Do you remember that? He's also supposed to have preeminence of his, above his brothers. He's supposed to be the big dog, like the next dad. So why in the world is he down here doing much of nothing? Because he blew it. He blew it while his dad was still alive. As a matter of fact, on his dad's deathbed, his dad pro prophesied over all of his sons. And he's like, Reuben, you're done. Your brothers are going to completely surpass you. That's why he's like this. His double portion was given to a son who was honorable. Who was that son? Joseph, the most famous out of all the sons. Joseph had two boys named Manasseh and Ephraim. They got two pieces, not Reuben. As a matter of fact, from this story moving forward, another brother will now take preeminence as the big dog tribe. Who's that? Judah. Who comes from the tribe of Judah? But Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Does all their actions matter when they were younger? Sure does. It's impacting their generations and generations and generations. It matters. So he gives that to Reuben in chapter 13, verse 24 through 28. It talks about what Gad got. In 29 through 31, it's what the half-tribe of Manasseh received. So let's go to chapter 14, verse 1. Now these are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest, pause, who's that guy? He's the high priest of all of Israel. He's the one who gets to talk to God. Now, 
Who's his dad? His dad's really famous. Anybody remember who his dad is? His dad is Aaron, Moses' brother. So if you remember when Moses went to Pharaoh, let my people go, Moses didn't want to talk. Who talked on his behalf? But his brother Aaron. From Aaron came the priesthood. His first son was Eleazar. In the Ark of the Covenant, there are three special items. The Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, and what? A rod, a staff, that Aaron was holding when God made it bud into blossoms to show that he would be the priesthood. That's in there. This is his first son. Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. Verse 2, their inheritance were assigned by lot to the nine and a half tribes as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Moses had granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan, but had not granted the Levites an inheritance among the rest. For the sons of Joseph had become two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Verse 5, so the Israelites divided the land just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 6, now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, all right, let's stop. Who's Caleb? Caleb's a big deal. Caleb's a stud. You ready to go? Here's why. A long time ago, as a matter of fact, let's say 45 years ago, this was all unknown territory. Israel comes up. And 12 spies are sent out. You remember that story? The 12 spies are sent out. They wander around and they come back to give a report to Moses. Two of the guys said, we can do it. Absolutely. I have the faith. God will help us take this territory. And those two men's names were Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 said, no way. We're too small. They're too big. Never going to happen. Israel followed them, and for 38 years they wandered in the desert down here and didn't do anything. Meanwhile, Joshua and Caleb are still around. They're a lot older now. So here comes Caleb, who was one of those spies. Here we go. I love this guy. He said this. You know what, you know what the Lord had said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. <laughs> that's, that's basically going, and I am awesome. <laughs> so on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Did you mention wholeheartedly? Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am, 85 years old today. But listen to this, verse 11. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go into battle now as I was then. Now, give me the hill country that the Lord promised to me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites, the giants, were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I'll drive them out just like he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. Verse 15, Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, 
after Arba, who was the greatest man among the giants. All right, let's review this. How old's Caleb? 85. Man, is this guy tough. He just walks out and he's like, bring me. What do you got? Giants? I'll go. I'll kill them all right now. Let's go. 85 years old. He's talking to his buddy who's about 95 to 100 years old. And these two tough guys are talking back and forth. And he goes, I remember I was there. He said, all right. Well, I'm not ready to settle down yet. Let me go kill someone. You're like, all right. And he blessed him and he gives him the territory. He goes in and tears the place apart and captures it all for Israel. Is that your retirement plan? Right? It's kind of like, well, there's Sun City and then there's Hebron. Okay. So, so then all of a sudden we have this massive army marching out from Lincoln Hills and they're going out and attacking, right? And they're, and they're viciously destroying the giants of the land. It's pretty awesome. Now, what else do we need to know about this? I want you to back up for a moment. Look at verse six. This is intriguing. It says, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the what? The Kenizzite has two possible meanings. It can either simply mean that one of his forefathers name was Kenaz. That's less likely. Or it could mean he's a Kenizzite. Depends on how they translated it. The NIV grabbed and said, no, he's a Kenizzite. Why is that important? Because he's not a Jew. That's weird. One of the tribes, uh, one of the spies, there's only 12 spies sent out from Israel and one of them's not a Jew. How does that work? How in the world are you giving a non-Jew access to settle territory in the Jewish land? According to the Bible, back in Abraham's day, there was a Canaanite group known as the Kenizzites. That's Joseph's, that's Caleb's people. How in the world did he get in with Israel? Because by the time we get to the Exodus coming out of Egypt, the Kenizzites have bonded with the tribe of Judah and become one of them. Is this important? Yeah. The same reason why Ruth, the Moabitess, is in the line of Jesus. Why Uriah, the Hittite, who was killed by David, was leading the Israeli army. Right? Why? Because God doesn't only love Jews. And he embraces these people on the outside and gives them territory within his own house. Pretty impressive. Let's move on. All right. So, it says... I have no idea where I'm at. Fantastic. Praise the Lord. Here we go. Mm -mm 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 -mm. All right, here we go. Uh, Chapter 15, 1 through 12, is the allotment for the tribe of Judah down below. And then it highlights the story again in verse 13. uh, 14. 15, 14. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites. Those are the giants. Verse 15. From there, he marched against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Pause. Lady, you cool with that? So I have this great plan. You grab your firstborn daughter. 
So anyway, I'm going to have you marry whoever in the army can take the city. And you know you're looking out over all these guys and you're thinking, oh no. I'm going to have to marry the most gnarly, scary man ever. Because he's going to be the one that's going to take the whole territory, right? He's going to be like the, the big guy. He's like, oh, you know, and he's kind of, you know, his helmet doesn't quite fit because he's got such a huge noggin, right? You know what I'm saying? All right. He's just kind of one of these big, huge, burly guys. All right. And you're thinking, oh, dad, come on. Really? You couldn't have thought of something else to give him other than me? All right. Well, he wanted his daughter taken care of. So this is a common way of honoring her by getting a guy who would become prominent. And giving her marriage into a good family. So, who ends up taking it? Well, it gets creepier. Here we go. Verse 17. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. Oh, good. Hi, Uncle Othniel. <laughs> so, Caleb gave his daughter Ox out of him in marriage. Ew. 18. One day, when she came to Othniel, her husband, she urged him to ask her father for a field. But when she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? She replied, do me a special favor, meaning give me a wedding present. Since you've given me land in the Negev, what's the Negev? It's the desert. It's the wilderness. She said, since we have territory in the wilderness, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. That's important for two reasons. Number one, every family needs to know who owns the springs. So her family owns the springs for important reason number two, which is what? A woman stepped up for her people. To us, this is no big deal. Oh, so what? You asked your dad for something. You played the whole daddy card. No. In that society... Now, Israel held women a little higher, but in general, women were property. You had suitcases, dogs, women, stuff like that. All of a sudden, this woman takes it upon herself, who could be dishonored. She steps up for her people and her family. Steps up and says, Dad, there's something I need. And she provides for generations. Ladies, take note. That in that day and age, she did something that was extraordinary. You will be used by God to do extraordinary things. You're going to hear that twice today. Let's move on. It says, <clears throat> it says, this is the inheritance, verse 20, of the tribe of Judah. It goes on. Judah could not, verse 63, Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in what? Jerusalem. Anybody ever heard of Jerusalem? Yeah, it's kind of like the whole New Testament. They couldn't dislodge the Jebusites from Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. Why is that important? Because Jerusalem's not a Jewish town at this time. That's weird. It's the whole hub, center of all of Israel today. Jerusalem's the big deal. Not yet. That doesn't happen until David. That's later on down the story. Chapter 16, verse 1. The allotment for Joseph, meaning one of the twelve sons, remember he had two boys. The allotment for Joseph, the double portion, began at the Jordan of Jericho, east of the waters of Jericho. Went up from there through the desert into the hill country of Bethel, verse 4. So Manasseh and Ephraim, his two boys, the descendants of Joseph, received their inheritance. And this is the territory of Ephraim. Go to verse 10. Verse 10. 
But they did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to do forced labor. Over and over and over, you're going to see each one of these tribes, almost all of them, fail to root out all the people. And they continue to have problems. Because of their failure to do what God dreamed, we have a book called Judges. Anybody ever read Judges? It's like a cycle of failure after failure. That all emanates from not doing what God asked them to do at this time. We pick it up, chapter 17, verse 1. This was the allotment for the tribe of Manasseh as Joseph's firstborn, that is for Machir, Manasseh's firstborn. Verse 3. Now, Zelophehad, which, please don't name your child that. That is a stupid name. All right, here we go. Now, Zelophehad had no sons, but only daughters, whose names were Mala, Noah, you always think of Noah as being a boy's name in the Bible. This is a girl. Hogla, that's a fantastic one. I think that she was super popular in junior high because her name was Hogla. There was Milka and Tirza. They went to Eliezer the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the leaders and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. So Joshua gave him an inheritance along the, with their brothers of their father according to the Lord's command. Wait a second, what'd they do? Once again, here come the women. They step up and address the senior leadership of all of Israel. Joshua, the big dog, who took over for Moses, who talks with God face to face. They go up to him, to Eliezer, the high priest, who gets to minister before the Ark of the Covenant. They go up before every big dog of every one of these tribes and said, we have rights too. God said, we get territory. Women don't get territory. But they do when God says they do. They went through, did the proper things, put their neck out on the line, and their people were taken care of. Ladies, keep burning this in your mind. God has dreams for you to do. God has plans for you to do. He will move upon your heart. He will have you do dramatic things. He will have you do things that are extraordinary, that will care for many and change lives in the course of history. Never underestimate yourself as a woman and a daughter of God. He will use you so powerfully in so many ways. And sometimes you're the right man for the job. Amen? Amen. Let's keep moving forward. It says this. Um, uh, verse 11. Within Issachar and Asher, Manasseh also had some cities, Bashan, Iblium, the people of Dor, blah, 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 blah. Verse 12, yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. Well, I would imagine so. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Huh. Interesting. Manasseh fails. By the way, Manasseh is the firstborn, but Ephraim takes prominence from here on out. The younger brother takes over for the older brother. And also, it says when they got stronger, they pushed them down, but they never got rid of them. 
as you've gotten stronger in your Christian life, are you just managing your sin better? Is that what you're doing? Because that's what I'm doing. You see, I grew up enough to keep it quieter. Oh, look at me. I'm so healthy. Right? Isn't that what we do? When you hang around with new Christians, new believers, they're very raw. They admit their sin right up front. They talk about it openly. They have nothing to hide. Ah, but when we get more mature, we're much better at hiding things. Then everyone looks at us and says, gosh, I wish I was mature as they were. Someday I'll be perfect too. No, you won't. Because they're not either. And neither am I. I'm just better at hiding it than the rest of us. Let's go back. It says, verse 14, the people of Joseph. Now, this is Ephraim and Manasseh together. These guys are whiners. The people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you only given us one allotment and one portion for inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Okay. Has anybody seen the map? Manasseh has all of this. All of this, and Ephraim has all of this. So basically, they have this enormous chunk, and they're whining they don't have enough space. Not only that, but if you saw it from a geographical standpoint, all this land is fertile and wonderful for raising crops and pasture land, yet it's still not good enough. So Joshua, who is of the tribe of Ephraim, has to handle this very carefully. Listen to what he does. He starts messing with her head. I like this. Verse 15. Oh, if you're so numerous, Joshua said, if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, well, why don't you go up into the forest and clear land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Raphaites? Who are the Raphaites? They're the other giants. He said, oh, it's too small for you? Oh, right on. Well, you're numerous, right? Ah, go get those guys. Interesting. The people of jo- jo- Joseph replied, well, the hill country, no, that's, that's not enough for us either. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain, they have iron chariots, <laughs> right? It's kind of like, and we're scared of them. <laughs> Both those in the Bethshan and its settlements and those in the Valley of Jezreel. But Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, Oh, you're numerous. You're very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Now go clear it and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Okay, so that is Joshua being very smooth about going, really? You're whining to me? Oh, you're big and bad? Why don't you go ahead and do something about it? All right? No, I'm not giving you more stuff. Go take it. And then you can handle it. Then it says, verse eight, chapter 18, verse 1. Then the whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. This is a big shift. All right, let's go back to the map. When they first crossed the Jordan River into it, they only had a little tiny piece right here on the Jordan River. That city was called Gilgal. That was their center of operations for this whole campaign. Now that they've taken a lot of land, they are moving 20 miles northwest into much more of the center of things up into this area. To a place called Shiloh, which will be the center of operations all the way until basically David takes out Jerusalem. And then they move it down south. All right? So big shift. Now, it says the country was brought under their control, verse 2. But there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. What about the rest of the guys? They're not doing anything. Why? Probably because they're content where they are. 
like the rest of us. So Joshua said to the Israelites, how long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers has given you? Appoint three men from each tribe. I'll send them out to make a survey of the land and to write a description of it according to the inheritance of each. Then they will return to me. You are to divide the land into seven parts. Leave Judah alone in the south, the house of Joseph in the north. Once you write it, bring it back to me. Verse 10, I will then cast lots. So Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. And there he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their tribal divisions. Verse 11 through 28 is the lot for Benjamin. Chapter 19, 1, the second lot came out for the tribe of Simeon. But look at verse 9. The inheritance of the Simeonites was taken from the share of Judah because Judah's portion was more than they needed. So the Simeonites received their inheritance within the tribe of Judah. I want you to notice this on the map. All this is Judah. Simeon's right here in the middle. They don't get kind of their own space. They have to hang out in Judah's land. Why? Because their dad cursed them. That's why. Because they too screwed up. Just like he prophesied against Reuben, he prophesied against Simeon. And this is all the effects of that story. Then it says the third lot came up for Zebulun. The fourth lot came up for Issachar. The fifth lot came up for Asher. And the sixth lot came up for Naphtali. Naphtali and Zebulun. I want you to notice where these guys are. So Naphtali is right here. Zebulun is right here. Why is that important? Because this is all the area of Jesus's territory. As a matter of fact, there was a prophecy that out of Naphtali and Zebulun would become a light for the Gentiles. That was even Jesus. We finish it out. Chapter 19, verse 40. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of Dan, verse 47. But the Danites had difficulty taking possession of their territory. So they went up and attacked Lashem, took it, put it to the sword, and occupied it. They settled in Lashem and named it Dan, after their forefather. Have you noticed that it's not easy taking land? The challenges that God's giving you in front of you, even though he says, I want you to be free, do not come without a cost. God has never pretended that this whole taking the land is easy. He will empower us to do it, but he's not ignorant. He gets it. Let's finish the story, verse 49. When they had finished dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua, son of Nun, an inheritance among them, as the Lord had commanded. They gave him the town he asked for. Timnath Serah in the hill country of Ephraim. This is fascinating. You want to know anything about Timnath Serah? It's in the rugged mountains and it's totally infertile. It's a rough place. Why is it there? I don't know. It says he built up the town and he settled there. Was that easy? Probably not at 107. But he did so. Why is that important? Because who's Joshua? The big dog of all of Israel. If there was ever a guy who should take advantage of his position, it was that guy. He should have walked through the whole land and said, I'm an Ephraimite. But I don't want to land here. I want your land. 
I want the best, shiniest, most amazing palace you can find for me. Because I'm the one that got you here. Was he the one that got him there? No, it was God. But here you have the senior leadership of all of Israel saying, I just like that town, please. You can imagine all of his guys, the whole posse around him, right? Come on, this is terrible. What are you doing? I've been there. That's nothing. You deserve way more than that. No, that'll be fine. And here the senior leadership is humble enough to go, I'll do it on my own. Thank you. Can you imagine why Israel liked to follow that guy? That's a good man. These are the territories that Eliezer the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel assigned by Lot. At Shiloh in the presence of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And so they finished dividing the land. What do we take from this? What land is still to be taken in your life? And what if God dreamed more? You can see the hindrances even in your plans. But what plans does God have? Plans that you've never dreamed of. Is there things that he would love to do through you? But he cannot because you will not submit your lives to him. I wonder all the time what ministry would flow through me if I was wholly surrendered to God. People go, well, Lance, it's always, you know, you've always had this successful ministry. But what did God dream for me? Not meaning leaving this church. I think this is the cream of the crop. This is the best place to be ever. I'm totally spoiled. And I have no interest in going anywhere. But I'm talking about effectiveness. Things flowing out of my personal life at all times with everyone around me. If I totally submitted everything in my life, would my voice have a new ring to it? Would the work of my hands be blessed even more, not financially, but for the kingdom of God? Would I begin to dream dreams of things that we could do as a church? Would I lead better? Would I be more pleasing to my God? I wonder that all the time. Do you ever wonder that? And do you have any plan of submitting that territory to God? Because he hasn't given up dreaming about you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for dreaming dreams of us and building us to become so useful to you. That Lord, on the outside we may not look like much. And on the outside we don't have many possessions. But those have never meant much to you. Lord, you look at the heart, you look at the character, you look at what you could do in an empty vessel. Be glorified in our lives. Be made famous by how we live. In Jesus' name, amen.